You're listening to teaching from the Word of God, provided by Black Forest Chapel. This is the church where you will find biblical teaching and authentic worship with family and friends. We are located in Black Forest near Monument and just north of Colorado Springs, Colorado. We invite you to join us this Sunday. Find our location, worship times, and more at blackforestchapel.org. Good morning, church. Thank you, Rick, for leading us in our time of communion. Thank you, worship team. We appreciate how you lead us, and I just want to keep singing. I think think for that entire time since we began the service, I haven't once thought about COVID or problems at work or the things I need to do when I get... I mean, that stuff will will be waiting for me in the parking lot, I'm sure, but but it's... um, it's an encouragement that as we worship him, as we focus on him, as we um, listen to him speak to us through his word, as we lift up his name, that we have peace, that we can enjoy his presence, that we can walk out of here refreshed, we can breathe again. Um, when the world around us is swirling in chaos, God's people can live in peace. So we're thankful for that. I'm thankful for that. Well, as you know, we're in the um, our series in the book of Exodus. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Exodus chapter 3. We'll be in this series for 40 years so that we can walk along with the story. It's just, it'll just feel like 40 years, that's all. It's not good. And we've been watching uh, God begin to fulfill his promise to the patriarchs by... Um, growing a nation by raising up a multitude of people that begin to take over Egypt and strengthen a number. And we see God um, not forgetting his people, but remembering them. He hears them. He remembers them. He sees them. He knows them. We saw last week. And so as he hears their cries, their great oppression, their great affliction, and, and their ruthless slavery that they're being subjected to in Egypt, he sees them and he knows, and so he's about to act. And he, as part of his answer to them, with a mighty hand, he's coming down to save them, and he's using a deliverer. And, he's, and that's the person of Moses. And we watch Moses kind of being prepared for this. And as we came into chapter 3, Moses is now 80 years old, having been 40 years in Egypt and then 40 years in exile in Midian um, as, a, as a shepherd for his father-in-law's flock. And so God is ready to act. He's ready to do something. And so he uh, calls out to Moses. He calls his servant to action. And he introduces himself with a holy handshake. We talked about that last week, how God chooses to dwell with his people. And he came down on this mountain, the mountain of God, and his divine presence was there, so much so that he told Moses, don't come near me. That's dangerous. I'm, I'm holy. This is holy ground. Take off your sandals. And we talked about God's holiness a little bit last week and what that entails. And he came in the theophany of the, the, the manifestation, the physical appearance of God himself in the, in the burning bush. And he, he proved that he is the creator God, that he has control over everything, that he could, he could take a bush in the desert that Moses has seen a thousand times and, and have, have it consumed with fire but not actually have it burned. And this was a great sight. This was an authentication that this is the true God that is speaking to him. And he's, so he's introducing himself to Moses. And what he wants Moses to do. And we ended last week with Moses hiding his face. He was afraid to look at God, as he should be. So when we're in the presence of a holy God, we are greatly aware of our sinfulness. And we saw this this juxtaposition, this intersection, if you will, of um, the holiness of God, the God that cannot be in the presence of sin. His eyes are too pure to look on sinful man desiring to be with his people, desiring to dwell with his people, to make a people for himself, and to dwell with them. And we'll see this throughout the, the journey in, in the Old Testament, the whole narrative, that he's, he wants to dwell with them here on this mountain as he gives them his law, and, and he wants to dwell with them in the tabernacle, and ultimately the temple, and ultimately in the person of Jesus Christ. And for those who believe in him, he dwells us by his Holy Spirit. And so this holy God wants to dwell with his people but he can't do that because of our sin. And so he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. The great exchange exchanged our sins for his righteousness. 
God made a way for us. And then if we confess Jesus as Lord with our mouths and we believe in our hearts that he rose from the dead, that we will be saved. This is God's promise to us. We don't have to guess. So many people out there wonder, am I really saved? Have I been good enough? Have I done enough things? Have I, have I evened the balance? Well, what is the standard of being good enough? It's the holiness of God. And no man can achieve that on his own. We can't earn our way. Just as Israel could not save themselves, they needed a deliverer. And God was the one to deliver them from slavery. And God would take them to this promised land. Jesus is the only one that can save us. And so we're seeing this, this, um, this type of Christ. We're seeing um, kind of a foreshadowing of, of the, the great Savior to come in this story. And so this morning, we're going to continue on. God is calling Moses. He's, he's made his introduction, right? And now God's going to tell Moses what he wants him to do. So let's read in verse 7 through 22. We're going to finish up chapter 3 this morning. Verse 7 says, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt." But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now please let us go a three days journey to the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. You shall plunder the Egyptians. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are in heaven, that you are sovereign, you are holy, God, you are separate, you are other. And so everything you do, Father, is done in holiness, it's done with perfection, and we can trust you. We can have faith in you and your word. These are not just words on a page, Father. This is life to our spirits. So thank you, Lord, for all that you give us. Thank you for your word that is going out now as we just read of your servant Moses and your conversation with him and your heart to save your people that you always make a way, you always provide. Lord, help us to be encouraged. I pray that you would also help our hearts, Lord, um, 
Help us to trust you because you are the great I am. Teach us about your name. Teach us about who you are, your character. Lord, may you lead us to greater worship because of this this time. And may we be hearers of the word, but also doers of the word. Help us to be obedient to what we hear this morning. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. And so we see Moses... um, hiding his face from God, and so God then begins to speak. He doesn't waste time, and he has a plan. He has a, he has a mission for his servant, the deliverer of his people. He says he has seen, once again, he's reiterating the fact that he sees and he hears and he knows all the affliction of his people. This should bring us great comfort. We, we've, we've walked through this for a couple weeks now, that God knows us intimately, personally. He knows everything that you're going through. Nothing is out of the, his view. All of us have a story. When I share some of my story and the things that God has brought me through, and I share some of the suffering that my family and myself have gone through, some the physical suffering, two decades of physical suffering, of being put on the shelf, of not having it seemingly not having a purpose in life because of Lyme disease and my body being taken away, being a prisoner in my own body. When I share those things, other people say, well, my, my story is not like you. you. You've suffered way more than I have. And my story, it doesn't, we're not here to compare stories. Our, your suffering is your suffering. Your struggle is your struggle. All of our afflictions are personal to us. So we don't compare those things. We give them all to the Lord. We encourage one another in them. We walk and we, we deal with those things so that we can comfort others. And so there's, there's affliction in all of our lives. And seeing that God sees and hears and knows and he remembers us, he doesn't forget us, that should bring us great encouragement. Right? And so God is reiterating, I see their sufferings. I see what's happening. I see, I see their taskmasters. I know exactly what they're doing. The fact that he says, um, I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Verse 9, he sees the very specific elements of the oppression. He knows exactly what's happening on every level. God is not unaware. God knows. And so his solution, God actually says, I'm, I'm coming down, right? I'm coming down. And I... That's, that can be a scary prospect if you don't belong to God, right? If you, if you don't know that he's a loving father. Growing up, we had a split-level home, and we, my brothers and I, I'm the oldest of three, we were in the basement, and we, we destroyed furniture, and we destroyed the home and, and one another, and we were always making noise and, until we heard the footsteps, right? Then we knew, okay, now it's time to stop, right? And the person that was in the wrong, they, they were a little more fearful. They were looking for the exit. The person that was in the right was like, yeah, look who's coming, Right? There's something about coming down. Don't make me come down there, right? We, we say that. Well, God's coming down to rescue. And how is he going to do it, though? In his sovereignty, he, he does things probably differently than we would expect, that we would maybe sometimes hope for. But he chooses to use sinful man to save sinful man. In this case, he chooses to use Moses. The people that God saves, God also sends. Right? If you are saved this morning because you believe in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, that he died for your sins, you believe in him, if he has saved you, then he's also sending you. He has a message for the rest. You are his, you are his ambassador. Right? You have a message to give. You have the good news to spread. And so Moses is being sent, and God's coming down. God will be the one to do it. God's the one that has the power. God's the one that will ultimately take care of it, but he chooses to use you and I. He chooses to use us. And sometimes we wonder why. <laughs> and, and can he really? And we start to question that. But this is, this is what God does in his good pleasure and in his perfect will. He chooses to use us. So he says in verse 10, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And remember, God wants to not only save them from something, he saves them to something. And he gives us this picture of this good land, this good broad land, spacious land. Right? If, if you own land right now and you, you have some space, you know how nice that feels, that your neighbor's kind of over there. right? We're in a new neighborhood and my neighbor is right here. right? 
we have to we have to take turns using our back porches because we're all on top of each other. We can hear each other's conversations. It's it's nice to have. It's nice to be spread out. It's nice to have room. Israel is taking over Goshen and the land of Egypt, and so he needs to give them more space. And so this is God's good pleasure, not just saving them from slavery and from from affliction, but to something amazing, to something beautiful. Sometimes. Sometimes we focus so much, yes, Lord, I'm a sinner, and yes, I've been saved from this, but we forget where we're going. We lose sight of that. That's to give us, that is our great hope, that we will live in heaven in eternity with our heavenly, in, in perfection. That should give us hope. That should help us to travel through this oppressive and afflictive land. And so, a broad land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the king. So he lists all these nations that are currently residing there. And so he provides this beautiful picture of where you're going, but there's going to be opposition when you get there. God's glory will be expressed in all the land because he will give them the land of these other nations so that they will have houses that they haven't built. They will have vineyards that they've never planted. God will give them all this infrastructure that's already in place, a land flowing with milk and honey. Sometimes we just kind of throw that off our tongues, but just the idea of flowing with milk, it's, it's a richness of the land. It's very fertile. The, the livestock can multiply. The, the milk will be flowing. Right? When any Israelite pours a big bowl of Cheerios or, or, or Raisin Bran, they don't have to worry about going to the fridge and being like, oh, we're, out of, we're out of milk. Right? Do I use orange juice or the nasty creamer from last week for my coffee? And any of you who have been a poor college student know that's an actual choice. And you may actually have to do that. But in this promised land, there's none of that. There's just, just put your bowl down. It's flowing, right? There's milk everywhere. There's plenty. There's a, there's a fullness. God will provide for them. Their stomachs will be full. The honey will flow. There'll be plenty of plants and nectar for the bees. And so there, we don't just want to skip over these things. These are pictures. These are to elicit imagery so we understand that God is taking us to an amazing place. He's taking his people to an amazing place. He's a good God. Not just rescuing them out of the hands of Egypt and saying, well, good luck. There's, I think there's a 7-Eleven that way. You can get some directions, right? But no, I'm going to take you to this amazing place, and I'm going to care for you and take care of you, and you're going to be my people, and I'm going to be your God. This is a personal God. This is a relational God. He is holy. He is other. He is separate, and yet he chooses to relate to us, even as Rick talked about, that he would save us. It's amazing. And so this is the picture. Come, I'm going to send you. So you would think that Moses is pretty excited about this, right? He was, he was the man in the first place. He was going to take everybody by storm before he had to leave Egypt. He was ready to, to kind of ramble up and take everyone out one by one, Egyptian by Egyptian, right? And bury them in the sand and save Israel that way. And he, and he was wrong. And he did it his own way instead of waiting for God's way. And so then he had to run and God had to prepare him in the desert for another 40 years. It says, come, now you're ready that I might bring my people out. And so there's two statements I want to focus on this morning related to the story as God's answering the cry of his people. Two statements. One is Moses' response to God's call. Moses says, who am I? Who am I to do this? And I think it's a common response, something that many of us have said before. But the other statement is God's response to Moses' question, and that's, I am who I am. Who am I from Moses? And then God's answer, I am who I am. So those are the two statements we're going to look at. So first, Moses' statement. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And so Moses begins with, with the natural question, but well, I'm not adequate for this. Obviously, I've failed already. I've a miserable failure. I've been sitting here for 40 years. I've been kind of, remember we talked last week, there was probably a hope that God would still use him, probably circle back to that mountain of God with his flock a few times, wondering, hoping that God would speak. But as soon as God says, I'm going to use you, Moses is like, well, but, but, but who am I, Lord? Remember, not that long ago, just earlier in chapter 3, God says, Moses, Moses. He calls to him, and Moses, what does he say? Here I am. Right? That is not a response of location, as if God didn't know where he was. Right? 
It's a response of availability, willingness to be used of God. There was an excitement there. There's a, here I am, Lord. We've seen this in all the patriarchs. We saw this in Joseph's life. When Jacob called Joseph to go find his brothers, they were already talking. They were already having a conversation. And when Jacob was giving him the mission, what did Joseph say? He said, here I am. He said, I'm, I'm willing. I'm available. And so Moses begins with, here I am, a good response. And now he's moving on to, well, who am I? And later, we're going to read about this next week, he starts to question and ask God questions. Well, but what, but what if they ask this, right? And then in chapter 4, he says, but behold, they will not believe me. Now he's, he's telling God what's going to happen. Well, they're not going to believe me. They're not going to listen. God just, God tells them, he tells Moses, they're going to listen to your voice. Trust me, they're going to listen to your voice. And Moses says, but they're not going to listen to my voice. And then Moses goes on and later in chapter 4, but, but I'm not a good speaker. I'm not eloquent in speech, Lord. I'm not, I'm not the right person for this. Ultimately leading to please send someone else. So, so here I am. I'm ready to go. Yes, Lord, you're holy. I, I can't even look at you. And I want you to go back to Egypt and confront Pharaoh. Well, who, who am I to do that, Lord? But, but what about this? But what if they do that? But what if they, but I'm not good at that. And please just send someone else. Here I am, send someone else, right? Isn't that the common sinful man response? And even as, as God's people, when God calls us, and we know he does, we, we have our charge, we have the great commission, we know what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be making disciples, supposed to be loving and serving God's people in the church forgiving others, loving our enemies. We, we know we're called to do these things. How often are we here I am in the morning and by the evening? Like send, please send somebody else, right? And I, I think the, the balance here or the, the linchpin here is this statement, this humble statement of who am I? It's okay to ask that. That's a good thing. In humility, we ask who am I? It's okay to communicate that. But then we must quickly Run toward the Lord, trust him in obedience. We must run toward the great I am in genuine faith. So it's okay to communicate who am I with genuine humility, but then run to the great I am with genuine faith. Because if we don't, if, if, we, if we, in that humble moment where we understand that God's holy and I'm not, and I'm not worthy, I can't do this. I can't do it. At that moment, then we have to look to God who can do it. And then step out in faith. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. Far too many of us are on our knees in humility. But who am I, Lord? And then we start focusing on self. We stop looking at him. Start looking at self. Well, I'm inadequate and I'm really insecure. And I did this in the past. And um, there's, this, this other person would be way better at that. I'm sure someone else will take care of it. Right? And we go from our knees in humility to kind of sitting back in apathy, in fear, in ultimately disobedience. We lack faith, and that does not please God. So Moses has a decision here, and asking who am I is okay. But then he has to look to the great I am and walk in faith. Alec Motter, an Old Testament theologian, puts it this way in his commentary, he said, when Moses was faced with his vocation to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt, his reaction was, I can't, therefore I won't. The Lord sought to bring him to the point where he would say instead, I can't, but he can, therefore I will. So Moses' reaction, I can't, so I won't. But God wanted to bring him to the place where he says, I can't, he can, so I will. Mater says, that is the obedience of faith, doing the will of God because he will always do what he has willed, trusting the promises of God because he will always keep his word, acting on the assumption of divine provision because he will never fail to provide. At that moment, Moses begins to look at himself instead of looking at this God who is speaking him out of a burning bush Right? That's how dense we are sometimes. <laughs> In all the signs and all the wonders, we still look at self more than we look at him, this great God who can do amazing things. And so he's being called. 
And God even says to him in this commission to Moses, he says, but I will be with you. He's not sending him alone. I will be with you. And I love this. He says, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So God's promise, his sign that I, the sign that I have sent you, Moses, is that I have sent you because you'll accomplish what I sent you to do. The, the sign that, that, that this will be successful is when you're back here on the mountain serving me. That's the sign. Well, couldn't there be a better sign, Lord? Couldn't there be some really strategic lightning strikes all over Egypt taking things out? I can just walk in. Couldn't there be just a giant bus that has some good Kevlar and armor on it and get everybody on there and get through? Can't there be some other great sign where I'm really not involved that much either, Lord? That's the sign. It's like a father. I remember when, I, when my boys were little, they'd stand up on counters and cabinets and everywhere else, right? But I would, if I put my hands out, that was a universal sign to go ahead and jump. Right? And they would, just, they would just jump. And the sign that I would catch them, right, the promise that I would catch them is when I, when I caught them, right? That was the proof that I would catch them is that I actually caught them. That's kind of what God is saying here. So my head has been hurting all week trying to think through this. That, that's the sign. So you will know that I am God, and you will know that I'm sending you because you'll be back here serving me on this mountain. That's it. So that requires what? Great faith. Because he doesn't know what he's stepping into or how this is going to be done or what is he supposed to do. Even though God says he will be with him, he's asking him to trust him. So Moses then says to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, verse 13, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? So Moses is, is maybe, to us, he's asking a very practical question. Now, we know as his progress continues in faithlessness, in fear, he's really trying to get out of this thing. He's, he's backtracking. He's starting to ask a lot of questions. But it's, it's not a bad question in light of the fact that for generations, the Israelite people, the Hebrew people, have been living in a nation that has a pantheon of gods. They've got a God for everything. There were 40 main gods, over 2,000 deities for everything you could think of. Even Pharaoh himself, the incarnation of the sun god Ra, he believed that he was God and he had supreme authority. And so in this, in this society with, with so many gods, well, what, what's his name? What shall I say his name is? And we've seen in, in Genesis all the way through as we begin in Exodus here, God has provided his personal name. We know him as God, Elohim, as creator God, as supreme divine being. That is certainly his name and something that he invokes in, in the scriptures. But what is his personal, what's, what's, what's the name of God? What is his actual name? Who should I say is, is kind of sending me, Lord? And so God's response is perfect. And it's, it's informative. It, it, it should help us to understand him more, even as we understand him less in the mystery of it. It should help us to worship him more. His response, God said to Moses, I am who I am. I am who I am. The word I am here is actually a first-person singular common verb. The only reason I know that is because I looked it up, so don't, don't be impressed by that. Right? It's the verb to be. It just means that God is. He just simply is. I am. It speaks to his eternal nature, that he is self-sufficient. He is self-existent. He was not created. He is completely and fully independent of everything. He has no beginning. He has no end. Everything that God creates is dependent on him. He is infinite. He is immortal. He is invisible. He's unchangeable. There are so many attributes of God and his character and the divine attributes. We could, I've got a whole long list of them here. And when you start to read through those and you study those, you just become in greater and greater awe of who this God is. He's self-existent. And so the promises of, of a God are only as good as the God who makes the promise, right? He's made these promises. His promises are not contingent upon any person or any situation to get them done. Because he is not contingent. He is not reliant on any person or situation for his own being. He just is. He is the great I am. I am who I am. 
He's self-existent, self-sufficient. Deuteronomy 33.27 says, The eternal God is your refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. Eternal, everlasting. Scripture just invokes this imagery throughout. Psalm 90, verse 2, Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Timothy, in his first letter, when he's, when he's talking about Christ coming to save sinners, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, insolent opponent. This is the worst of the worst. This is the who am I of the who am I's, right? But I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Verse 17, Paul is invoking who God is, the king of the ages, the king of eternity, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This is in his introduction. Like he, it, sounds, right, it sounds like a benediction, but he can't help but invoke the name of God. Why would God do this? this, this amazing God? And if God saved Paul, then he's saved. If Paul is free from his bondage and sin and his ignorance and his unbelief, he is truly free because God said so. God's not contingent upon anyone else to make that happen. His promises are good. So I am who I am. God is incomparable, unsearchable, unequaled. He is the God of justice, the God of righteousness, the God of mercy, the God of grace. He's omnipotent, meaning he's all-powerful. He's omniscient, meaning he knows everything. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere at this, all at the same time. He's sovereign. He's supreme over everything. He has the right and the authority to do whatever he wants. He's perfect. He's holy. He's separate. We talked about that last week. These should all invoke praise in our hearts as his people. Because everything that he said in Christ Jesus and everything that happened through our Savior Jesus Christ, all the promises that were given to us as his people, the hope that we wait for now for Jesus to return, to be with him forever, the fact that he took sinners like us as we sang in the song, sinners like us and put us at his table, that we might fellowship with him forever, those are promises based on the great I am. Because he simply is. And we can trust him. And so God is telling Moses, tell them that I am <laughs> sent me to you. Tell them that I am sent. Because everything that I'm going to do is based on my promises and my character and who I am. And I'm, I am eternal. I'm self-existent. I don't need anyone's help. I'm independent of everything. I'm the holy God. And I love my people. And so when I say I'm going to save them, I will do that. And then God was kind enough to also provide a little more uh, of an expanded response for Moses. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. That This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Tell them that the Lord sent you. The same Lord of your fathers is the Lord of the promise. And this word Lord, when we see it um, in the scriptures, it's a replacement for the tetragrammaton. For those of you who, who know what that means, the, the four-letter word of the personal name of God. So in the Hebrew, it's transliterated into four letters, capital Y, capital H, capital W, capital H, right? Yahweh, Jehovah. And so when we see the Lord in all caps, that is our English translation of the personal name of God. Tell them that me, the, your personal God, who, who you're, you're the patriarchs knew, who Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the God of your fathers who, who knew me, tell them that I'm the one who sent you. 
that Yahweh, the, the great I am, the self-sufficient, the self-existent one, the one who created everything, I'm the one who's calling you out of Egypt. Tell them that, that I sent you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. And so God responds to this perhaps humble statement of who am I? Am I really the person to do this, Lord? What am I, what am I supposed to do? Who, who am I to do this? Well, I'm going to be with you. Yeah, but, but who are you? What's your name? How, what do I tell these people? Remember, Moses is just, he's learning about this guy. He, he knows of God, but does he know him personally? God is personally introducing himself here. And he knows of God's promise, but does he know the character of God, who he really is? And Moses is going through the encyclopedia in his mind. He's going through all of the Egyptian gods, all the gods that he's known, that he's learned about through all of his education and training over 40 years. Is there anyone like this? Is there anybody like this God? Because that God is based on this animal, and that God is based on that created thing, and that God looks really weird, and it's a little statue, and that God is supposed to help me with my ankle when it gets hurt, and that God, but this God is just, he just is. He just is. He's just, he's, he's the great I am. How, how do I wrap my head around? How do I explain that? And God's like, well, that's going to be tough for you to explain. Tell them I'm the Lord. Here's my personal name because I'm a personal God and because I love my people personally. Tell them that Yahweh sent you. The God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. This is, this is the same God today. And he has expressed his love by coming down the incarnation, Emmanuel, God with us in the person of Jesus Christ. God with us. And now there's no other name under heaven which we must be saved. He's the name above all names. And Jesus himself wasn't shy about sharing where he came from. Right? If you look at John chapter 8, Jesus was trying to communicate to the religious elite who he really was and that if they don't believe in him, that they would die in their sins. He's, he's, he's giving them the bad news and he's giving them the good news, that he is the solution. He has come from God and they don't believe him and they keep invoking the name of Abraham. Abraham is our father. Why do you keep... They, they were, they were, he, was, he was getting closer and closer to blasphemy and they, they were not having any of this. And Jesus was warning them. And at the end of... Um, John chapter 8. We'll just start in verse 48. It says, The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? So now they're, they're saying, you're, you're speaking crazy. We can't understand you. We can't hear you. You must have a demon because no one would talk like this. right? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died? And the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You were not yet fifty years old, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. He's invoking the same language here. He is saying that I am God. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. We know that Jesus is God. He is I am. And so every promise he's given us, every word that he spoke was true. And we can trust him fully.
So God moves on and says, go gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, and he repeats everything. And they will listen to your voice and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, Lord God of Hebrews has met with us. So now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord, our God. And then we'll continue the story next week. There's, there's multiple things here that, that Moses is struggling with that we all struggle with. And so for our application, I just want to talk about that for a moment. Moses says, who am I? That's okay. And God says, well, I'm going to be with you. And here's the sign is, I'm going to make this, this happen. You'll, you'll be back here on this mountain. But Moses says, but what about your name? And here's my name. And God even says, I will send you with the elders. Moses was never going by himself. He was going to go give this message to the elders of Israel, and they were all going to go together to Pharaoh. We missed that. Moses is so focused on himself, he can't see that he's not in this alone. God is with him. That's enough. God's people are with him. That should be plenty. And yet he continues to question God and shrink back in fear. Too many of us do the exact same thing as believers. We put our trust and our faith in this Jesus who promises us eternal life if we believe in him. And we have been confirmed in our spirit by his Holy Spirit that we are saved. And he is growing us and he's sanctifying us. He's making us holy. But we are not perfect yet, as we will be. This is still a journey here. We still struggle with sin, with temptation. But we are, we are moving toward holiness. We are moving toward because of the work of Jesus in our life. Part of the sanctification process requires us to walk in faith, to obey him when we're called. We are called people. Those he saves, he sends. Too many of us, as soon as we're, we're called, as soon as God wants us to do something, as soon as we're, it's clear in the scriptures, oh yeah, I'm supposed to go, and Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth, it says in Matthew 28, and, and he says, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to, to obey everything I've commanded you. And Jesus says, I will be with you. So I'm sending you, just as he sends Moses, and he says, I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to give you everything you need. If God calls us, he equips us. He never calls someone and then says, well, I'm not going to help you out now. Figure it out. Does a good father do that? Here, son, here's some wood and a power drill and some nails and some glue, and just I want you to build this and just figure it out, right? That's not very loving. <laughs> that's, that's dangerous. And so God calls us. Far too many of us say, who am I? And we get down our knees in humility, and we know that we can't do it. But then we say what Moiter talked about. It says, so I won't do it. And we won't. And I'm, I'm so sick and tired of the Pareto principle being thrown around with, within organizations, but also within the church. The 20-80 principle, the 20% of the people do all 80% of the work and, and do all the 80% of this, right? So just a very small handful are the ones that do everything. And since it's a statistical truth and a known figure in, in economics and in business, and so I guess it's okay for it to be in the church, I don't read that at all in the New Testament. I see that 100% of God's people should be doing 100% of the work together. Moses isn't sent by himself. God's with him, and so are God's people. And later we'll see, even as Moses tries to do everything, his father-in-law wisely says, you're going to burn yourself out. You're going to, it's, it's too much for you. Delegate the authority, right? But so many of us in a Maybe it starts out with a, with a good humility. It turns into a false humility. It turns into a fearful act where we step back and say, Lord, who am I? And what's your name again? And I, really, I don't really know, Lord, if I should be the one doing this. And um, could you just send someone else? And I'm sure someone else will take care of that. And I'll see you later. Thank you, Lord. I love you. Love you. Right? And we hide. And we find our chair. This would, this would never happen in any of our households. When my, my sons, my family, we are there to love and serve one another, not to consume and just take. 
And when one person's having a bad day, the other one lifts them up. And when that person's having, the other person lifts them up. And when the trash needs to go out, we don't assume that someone else will take the trash out, right? Or when the, we need to get the mail or when the doorbell rings. If we really love one another, an expression of our love is we serve one another. We help one another. Too many of your brothers and sisters in this congregation, in this church, are doing everything. Why? Because there's a need, and they love you, and they love this church, and they love the Lord. And so they want to be faithful to the point of wearing themselves out. And there are far too many of us that that sit back and keep saying, well, who am I? And I really just can't, and I'm not good enough, and God can't use me. Do Do you for one moment believe that I step into this pulpit with any type of confidence ever? If you do, you're wrong. Tetragrammaton. I had to sit there. Help, help me, Lord, to pronounce that properly. What does that mean again? I know it because I read it, because I studied it. That's fine. That's my job. That's not where the power is, though, just memorization. It's because I'm submitting myself to the Lord. Lord, you called me to teach, and I don't really, I don't like being in front of people. I don't like lights. I don't want to be up here. But you've called me to do something. I, I don't know how... I'm supposed to do this, Father. And I have to do it again next week. And here comes Sunday again. And when it's Friday night and I got to do what? Oh, yeah. For, right? There's, there's, it's, it keeps coming. And God says, trust me. Do the work. I've prepared you. I've equipped. If, I've, if I'm calling you, I'll equip you. I'm not going to leave you alone. And so in, Mo, in that moment, Moses, when, when he's saying, who am I? And then it goes to please send someone else. What he's saying to the great I am, to the self-existent one, the self-sufficient one, the immortal, the invisible, the all-powerful, the all-knowing, having no beginning and having no end, to this great I am, to this amazing God, to Yahweh, what he's saying is, you have must have made a mistake. God, you made a mistake. Because I, 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 I'm not the guy. Does this God, that this great I am, that this perfect holy God make mistakes? Does he make a mistake when he calls you out of your chair into service to God's people? Does he make a mistake when he tells you, I want you to go talk to your neighbor, talk to your family member, talk to your friend? They are struggling right now, and you have the answer. You have the words of eternal life. Speak to them. I sent my son to die on a cross to take away their sins so they could be with me for an eternity and have, have peace that transcends all understanding. You have that peace. You have that message. You have these words of eternal life. You're not even reading this. You don't know what to say because you're not reading. You're not studying. You're not talking to me. And so we say, God, you're wrong. You've made a mistake. You, the Holy One of Israel, the Almighty God, the great I am, you've made a mistake by choosing me, by calling me. He did not. We make the mistake by disobeying him. As somehow he'll just leave us alone. He's a loving father, and he loves you deeply as his sons and his daughters. I don't let my son stay in his room for days on end with his head down in the darkness, self-loathing, upset, and depressed. How... I go and sit next to him, and I walk with him, and I talk with him, right? And I encourage him, and I, here, try this. And you don't have to be perfect at it. And I bless my sons. And when they do those things and they obey me, they bless me. And that's what our Father's asking us to do. So when you stay in your chair, and you say someone else will, will greet at the door, someone else will take care of that, someone else will, will watch children in the nursery, someone else will pray for the church. When you do that, you say, God, you made a mistake because I'm not that person. And God doesn't make mistakes. He's perfect. So consider Moses' response. Consider your response when God calls you. What is he asking you to do? There is something right now that you know you should be doing. And you're struggling to do it. Repent of your sin. Get on your knees in true humility. Repent before a living, holy God. Acknowledge who you are and who he is. And say, Lord, I can't. 
but you can't, so I will. If this is really a family, we need to start acting like it, loving one another through service, taking this message out. This world is just hurting everywhere. Sin has distorted so much of people's thinking. They don't even know what's up. You have the words of life. You have truth. They might reject it. That's okay. It's still your job to speak it. God even told Moses, Pharaoh will reject you. Say it anyway. And then watch what I can do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness, for your word, that you transform us, you speak to us, you convict us, surely, Lord. But you do so because you love us. You want to draw us out from our stagnant, fearful lives, Lord, and live unto you. There's great blessing when we obey. Help us not to hear this morning and walk away unchanged, Lord. Change our hearts. Help us to obey you, to walk in light of who you are to understand that we are called, we are sent ones, even as we are holy ones, being made holy by your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for all the work you're doing in our lives. Forgive us of our sins, Father. Thank you for your mercy, your boundless grace in our life. Anytime we fall down, Lord, you pick us right back up. So thankful for you, Lord, and we continue to praise your name even as we leave this morning. And it's in Jesus' holy name that we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from the Word of God. If you don't have a church home, we invite you to visit Black Forest Chapel in Black Forest, Colorado, near Monument and just north of Colorado Springs. You'll find biblical teaching and authentic worship in an environment that feels like family and friends. Get directions and more information at blackforestchapel.org.